Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, normally when I'm up here, I say something like, Hi, Mom, because I know she's watching online. Uh, but I'd also like to throw a shout out to my stepdad in Florida and say happy Father's Day to him and my dad, uh, who is likely not going to see this because he's, he's uh, on a mercy ship, like in the island somewhere. So anyways, so, but happy Father's Day to my dad as well, and happy Father's Day to all y'all. So just, just excited that you're here with us today. It's good. It's a good, good, good day. Am I missing something? My wife is chatting. I'm not sure if I'm missing something. Farrell, am I missing something? Okay. So she's just in talking about something different. That's okay. <laughs> she's probably heard this sermon a couple of times, so she's good to go. Well, uh, many of you uh, will likely remember uh, Billy Graham. Uh, he was a, a famous and respected mass evangelist. I know we're kind of getting to the point where some people are not going to remember who he was because they are young enough to not know who he is. But he, it's estimated, if you don't know about Billy Graham, it's estimated that he was able to preach uh, to over 200 million people who gathered at these rallies he had uh, to present the gospel. And it's estimated that over 3 million people gave their lives to Christ when he in, gave an invitation at some point for them to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Isn't that amazing? Now, Billy was a great, good preacher, and he's, he's famous for uh, holding up his Bible as he would preach. He'd hold up his Bible, and he would say things like, uh, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that there's no other way to find salvation but in Jesus Christ, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He'd, he'd hold up his Bible, and he'd say, The Bible says, the Bible says Jesus loves you. And Billy would say that, and he'd give an invitation for people to come, and, and people would come from all over. He'd do these in big stadiums, and people would start coming from all the way up top and come all the way down, and, and hundreds of people would give their lives to Christ after an a invitation from Billy. He began preaching in 1949. Isn't that amazing? He preached for over 50 years. He, he finally ended his public career in 2005. And for most of the time, Billy was able to just hold up his Bible and say, the Bible says, and people would say, okay, I believe it, and they would come forward. But as his career went on, as it got further and further down the road, at some point, he began, and, and other public preachers had to do this, he had to explain more and more about what the Bible was and, and who this God was that he was speaking about, and it took him longer and longer, and at the end of his, his career, he was no longer able to say, the Bible says, and people would just say, okay, well, I believe it because most people didn't even know what a Bible was. You see, the biblical literacy in North America has plummeted in the years uh, that B Billy Graham was preaching. Fewer and fewer people understood the basic tenets of Christianity. I remember back in 1999, I was giving a devotional uh, message to a group of teenagers at a, at a day camp horse camp in Edmonton. And I remember holding my Bible up, and I did a very similar thing to what Billy Graham says. I would hold my Bible up, and it says, in here you will read about how loved you are by an amazing, amazing, powerful, and all-knowing God who loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you, that you would be able to have a relationship with God because of what God has done in his son, Jesus Christ, for you, that you can be invited into his eternal family. And I waved the Bible, and I would say, God loves you so much. 
He loves you so much. You've got to know it. God loves you so much. I remember doing this. And one of the kids, after my talk that morning, walked up to me, and, and we had a, like snack time right after the chapel service, and so he walked up to me and he said, I've never heard the message of such a loving God, that a loving God loves me. I've never heard that before. That's amazing. That's so amazing. I, I want to know more about this God who loves me so much. But I have a question for you, he said. I have a question for you. What is that book that you keep waving around? I said, it, it's, it's the Bible. And he said, what's the Bible? That was in 1999 when this kid said, what is the Bible? This is our last Sunday in our shift series. We've been looking at seismic shifts that affect Christian mission, things that are happening in our culture that are, that are huge, and, and, and they affect the way that the church works and acts and lives and reaches out to our culture. Today we're looking at how our culture is shifting from a place that we would say it's post Christendom, which means that people are moving away from Christianity and people are beginning to leave the faith and that kind of a thing. Moving from that, the shift is moving from post-Christendom to pre-Christian. Where, where the society is moving away, it West used to be a great exodus from the church and now there's a large group of people who have never been to church before them and their parents and possibly their grandparents have never been to church. And so we actually consider our society, instead of being a post-Christian society, we actually consider it now to be a pre-Christian society. Let's watch this video and learn more. From post-Christendom to pre-Christian religious trends in Canada. Canada is experiencing a rapid decline of Christianity. The 2021 census data revealed that only 53% of Canadians identify as Christian, down 14% from 2011. Simultaneously, the nation is experiencing a rapid increase of religious nons, a somewhat catch-all term to describe those who identify as irreligious, agnostic, or non-affiliated with any one religious group. Today, this growing group makes up more than one-third of Canada's total population. There's a current impulse in Canada away from traditional religion and towards various other religious identities and ideologies, such as paganism, environmentalism, gender politics, and social architecture, just to name a few. This data, further nuanced by adding many world religions via immigration, presents a new religious milieu that is both religiously pluralistic and secularly irreligious simultaneously. As the Christian overlay on Western cultural life is being removed, Canada is increasingly moving towards a culture of post-Christendom, where Christian faith loses coherence with society, toward that of a pre-Christian or neo-pagan where no former knowledge of Christianity or Christian faith exists. Further, many Canadians are becoming generationally distanced from any Christian memory. As emerging generations grow up with little knowledge of the Christian faith, a new generation of pre-Christians will eventually emerge. The swift decrease in the generational knowledge and understanding of Jesus, Christianity, and the story of the Bible exemplifies this. Positively, however, 
there is increased openness to spirituality, particularly among Generation Z, born between 1996 and 2015. Recent, recent statistical data from Barna indicates a positive perception towards the person and message of Jesus in Gen Z across the Americas. A kid that asks me what's a Bible is, is likely um, about 40 years old or so now and likely has his own family and likely has a couple of his own teenagers but there's a generation now that has grown up removed from the base teachings of Christianity, a generation of people who are now raising another generation of people who are potentially two generations removed from basic Christian understanding. According to Canadian census data in 2001, 77% of, of Canadians claim to be Christian. And now, as the video said, in 2021, that percentage is down to 53%. And I expect if nothing changes, that number will continue to plummet at even greater degrees in the years to come. In 2001, 16% of, of Canadians identified as having no religious affiliation, and that number is more than doubled just 20 years later in 2021 to, to, to 34%. 34% of Canadians identify as non-religious. Now, most of this increase in non-religion or this this, this a place of being a religious non, has not been in people who've walked away from the faith. It's not people who tasted and seen that Jesus is good and then walked away. And most of the increase is due to the faith not being transferred to the next generation. The fact is, the younger you go, the higher the percentage of, religious, of no religious affiliation. In fact, there are some who are projecting that if things do not change by the year 2040, which used to be like so far away, right? But 17 years from now, in the year, by the year 2040, less than 1% of Canada's younger generation will identify as Christian. What does this mean? What, what do we do with this kind of information? Again, you'll remember from a few weeks ago, I said, as we go through this series, the number one thing is to not fear because God is in charge. He's not surprised by any of this and he has a plan. So we're not going to be afraid, we're not going to fear here, but we're going to look at God's story. So let's take a look at God's big story. So I'm going to tell you the story of how God has chosen to interact in our world. You guys know that our God loves to reveal himself to the world. He loves to show up and show who he is to the world. He does this in lots of different ways. We're going to talk about a very specific way that God likes to reveal himself to the world. Now a few weeks ago, we talked about Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, God gives Abraham a promise. It's, it's called the Abrahamic covenant, which is just another word for promise. And here's the Abrahamic promise in Genesis chapter 2. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Basically, God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And then I'm going to use you to bless the world. Now this promise gets handed down. It's a, it's a generational promise. And so this promise gets handed down in Abraham's family. And Abraham's grandson is named Jacob. And Jacob has this interaction with God. He meets God and God gives him a new name. So from Jacob, he gives him the new name Israel. 
And Jacob, who is now called Israel, becomes the father of, of the tribes of Israel. The 12 sons of Israel who all become the, the people who lead the nation of Israel. And so we have this, now we have this nation called Israel. And the nation of Israel is multiplying, and they're getting bigger and bigger, and the fa- this, a, the, a famine comes across the land, and the nation of Israel moves to Egypt to be saved from this famine. It's a fantastic story, but we're not going to go into it today. What happens, though, after living in Egypt for quite a long time, they end up becoming enslaved to the Egyptians, and God sends Moses to free the Israelites from Egypt. So God shows up, he, he, he frees the Israelites, they come out of Egypt under the direction of Moses, and they're headed towards the promised land. On the way to the promised land, the Israelites receive another promise from God. Now remember, they're already under the Abrahamic promise. So they're already under that, that God wants to bless them and bless the world through them. Because these are the people that have come from Abraham. God wants to bless them and bless the world through them. But now they receive another promise on top of this one. It's called the Mosaic Covenant or the Mosaic Promise, which is found at the beginning of Exodus chapter 19. It includes the Ten Commandments, which are in Exodus 20. But it starts with this. Exodus 19, God says to the Israelites, Now if you obey me fully... And keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. I want you to remember that passage because we're going to come back to it in a little bit. During this time, God also promises to the Israelites in Leviticus chapter 26, he says to them, I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will will not hate you. I I will not be against you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. What an amazing promise. Now when the Israelites were wandering about on the way to the promised land, God instructed them to build a tent or a tabernacle that would be a holy place that God would say, because God said, I want to put my dwelling place among you. So he says, make this tent for me. Now we know that God doesn't live in a tent, but there's, it's symbolic. So God says, make this tent for me where my presence will reside right in your midst. So make this tent for me, this tabernacle for me where I will come down and live. And God does that. His spirit inhabits this tabernacle. Now, many years later, after the Israelites make it into the promised land and kind of settle down, they settle into to the land and they, they settle into their capital city of Jerusalem. Many years later, they build a more permanent structure. God's been living in a tent all this time, and now they build a temple for God to live in. And so they have this temple in the middle of their capital city, in the middle of the promised land, their nation of Israel. Now remember, the promises are still there. God wants to bless this nation and bless the world through them. He wants to make them into a kingdom of priests. It's interesting, right? What would you need a kingdom of priests for? Well, you know what priests do. The priest's job is to listen to God and bless the nations, bless the people. So God wants to make a kingdom of priests to bless the world. A group of people who would be able to bless the nations. Bless the nations. And you can see, you can see how God plans to do this in the way that God purposes his temple. Now, in the past, I've preached to you. Now, you probably have heard this. I've been preaching for a couple of years now. And you've probably heard me talk to you about the court of the Gentiles. And I used to say that isn't God good? He's prepared a place within the temple called the court of the Gentiles that was a place that everybody could come to to find out who God is. Because 
you, you guys know who the Gentiles are. So anyone who's Jewish is Jewish, and anybody else is a Gentile. So it doesn't matter. There's this Jewish group in the world, and everybody else in the entire world are Gentiles. And I used to say that God prepared a place in the temple called the Court of the Gentiles for the Gentiles, for the rest of the world to come and see him. But I was actually in error, so I'm going to correct that today. When I used to preach that, it was because you read about this in the New Testament, the court of the Gentiles. And there is a place in the New Testament in the temple called the court of the Gentiles, and that's in Jesus' time. But that space was not the way that God originally intended the temple to be. See, this place that was outside of the rest of the place, this place that was kind of on the fringe, is what the, the Pharisees had set up. So when the new temple is built kind of just before Jesus' time, they've gotten to the point where Israel has been really, really, really rejecting the call that God has placed on their life to be a kingdom of priests to bless the nation. They've rejected that, and now they've kind of huddled in their own little circle, and they said, we just want to be us. So we're going to make this new thing in the temple, the court of the Gentiles, that is outside of really where the good stuff happens. So that was, a, that was something that happened later on. But here's, here's what God's intended purpose for the temple was. Okay, so we're going to look back and see what is his intended purpose. So if God's intended purpose is not to keep the Gentiles on the outside, what is God's intended purpose? Well, here we're going to read about this. Now, there's a couple of big passages we're going to read. I tried to whittle this down as best as I could for you guys. But the Old Testament is full of this stuff. And I brought it down to just three passages. So you're welcome. We're only going to look at these three passages briefly. But it's just amazing. As you look at the Old Testament, I want, as you read through the Old Testament, I want you to look at how much God cares for the other nations. Because God, God is not just the God of the Israelites. God is the God of everybody. And he loves the other nations. So let's look at what his intended purpose is for his temple. So here in Numbers chapter 15, here's what God says. If an alien, and that's another name for a foreigner or a Gentile or something like that. If an alien sojourns with you, spends time with you, hangs out with you, or, or one who may be among you throughout your generations, who's been there for a while, and he wishes to make an offering by fire as a soothing aroma to the Lord, just as you do, so shall he do. As for the assembly, there shall be one statute for you and for the alien who sojourns with you, a perpetual statute throughout your generations. As you are, so shall the alien be before the Lord. There is to be one law and one ordinance for you and for the alien who sojourns with you. So, so it's not that you're supposed to treat them different, but bring them in. Bring the alien in so that, so that he can be a part of my family. God's heart for the nations. We also see when Solomon, so Solomon was the one, so God lived in this tent, which we know he really didn't live in a tent, but from the time they moved um, from, the, from Egypt into the promised land, and as they were, they were going into the promised land, he lived in a tent, and then Solomon came along. Solomon was able to build the temple. And so as Solomon builds the temple, he dedicates it, and here's his prayer. Solomon prays this prayer. He's speaking to God, and he says, also, concerning the foreigner who is not from your people. So, also, concerning the foreigner who is not from your people, God, from, from the people that you have, from your people Israel. When he comes from a far country for your great namesake and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when they come and pray toward this house, then hear from heaven, from your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls, you to, calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name 
and fear you as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house which I built, which I have built, is called by your name. The, the plan is that the, all the nations would be able to see Israel and come to you, God, and that you would listen to them. And finally, we see this passage in Isaiah regarding the temple again. God is speaking to Isaiah, and it's a beautiful passage. You should look at all of Isaiah 56. Jot that down in your mind, Isaiah 56. Read it later. It will just give you goosebumps. It's fantastic. But I picked out a piece of this in Isaiah 56, and here's what God is saying. He says, The foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even those... God's saying all those people, the, the, the others, the foreigners, the, the people that are out there, those that, that come to honor and worship me, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Now listen carefully. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. Isn't that amazing? That passage gets repeated in the New Testament. We're not going to look at it today. But the passage is repeated. Okay, I'm going to just talk about it because I'm just, I can't not talk about it. So do you remember when Jesus goes into the temple and he sees all the money changers and they're in the court of the Gentiles? Jesus sees the money changers in the court of Gentiles and he turns over the tables and he makes a whip and he whips everybody and he's just like, ah, and he's so angry and everybody's like, well, that's, God's a table flipper. Well, he, he is. But also, what, this is where that passage just shows up again. Jesus is ticked off because they have made his, his house a den of robbers. And it's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus is ticked off because this was the place that the, all the nations, the whole world was supposed to come together and see who God is. And they've set it up like a marketplace. Because his house was supposed to be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now as we look at these scriptures, we begin to see God's heart for the people that God has a heart for all nations, for all the people, not just for the Israelites. That God welcomes the Gentiles, the foreigners, the aliens into his presence. See, God's intention was to use Israel to be a beacon of hope to the world, to bless them, to bless Israel and bless the world through them, to make them a nation of priests who could minister to the world so that all peoples, all nations could come to God equally. Not be put on the outside, but come right in as you are, that they are. So that all people, all nations could come to God, that their sacrifices would be acceptable and that they would be welcome in God's house of prayer. There was not meant to be a court of the Gentiles. That wasn't God's plan. It was supposed to be a space where God's, God's presence dwelt, that the people could come and see him. But this is not even the best part of the story. See, the world was meant to see God through the Israelite nation. This was the way that God was revealing himself to the world. But God was still building up to an even greater revelation of himself, a better way even of reaching the nations. And this is when Jesus comes. Jesus shows up. God in flesh now appearing. Jesus is God in a body. The fullness of, of God's whole character in the flesh. The greatest message God could ever speak to the world was about to step into the world. And here's what John says about this message of God. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Jesus came and dwelt among us. In the original Greek, where it says that that Jesus came and dwelt among us, the, the actual phrasing there is that Jesus came and tabernacled with us. He came and tabernacled with us. This is is meant to draw the reader back to the memory of God saying, I'm going to dwell among you. I'm going to place my presence, I'm going to tabernacle with you. Build for me a tent so I can tabernacle with you, so I can be with you, so my presence will fill this tent and I'll be able to walk among you. And here, Jesus is dwelling with us, God in flesh, tabernacling with us, his presence here in our midst, walking with us also. The world could now see God face to face in Jesus. But again, this is not the best part of the story. I've often thought, how fantastic would it be? And you might have thought this as well. How fantastic would it be to just have Jesus here? Wouldn't that be amazing? Like, how many people do you think would show up if it were like, this Sunday, this Sunday, Jesus is preaching? Like, how fantastic would that be? It'd be amazing. It'd be amazing. I've often thought, Jesus, it would just be better if he would just show up today and you'd be the one that would lead us in worship. I don't know what songs he would pick. He'd pick some good songs. I don't know what announcements he'd make, but I'm sure they're good announcements. He'd preach. It'd be amazing. But could you imagine booking Jesus for a Sunday morning service if he was here? Like, how many people would be like, you know, like, I've got some time in 748 years you can book me for that Sunday? Like, it'd be insane. Like, there's no way you could get, like, Jesus would be spread way too thin if he was here. Well, well knowing this, Jesus has an even better plan. In John 16, Jesus is talking with his disciples. And as he's talking with his disciples, his disciples would love him to be staying, to stay. Jesus would be really good if you stayed. If you just stayed all the time, like we'd get so much done. It'd be fantastic. But here's what Jesus says in John 16. He says, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus goes on to explain that if he goes away, the Holy Spirit will come and the Holy Spirit will live within every believer. You see, here's God's big plan. It starts with the Abrahamic covenant. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless the nations through you. And then we get the Mosaic covenant. I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. And then God tabernacles with the Israelites where his spirit lives with them in that tent occupying that space. Then the temple is called a house of prayer for all nations. My house is going to be a house of prayer for all nations. Then Jesus comes and he tabernacles with us, God in the flesh. And then Jesus leaves and God's spirit doesn't just live with us. Here's God's plan. God's Spirit now lives in you, not just with us. We don't need to set an extra seat at the table. He lives in you. You now become the tabernacle that Jesus is living in. You. And so instead of trying to book Jesus for a Sunday morning, now we have millions of people around the world, a billion people around the world who know Jesus and love him, who are walking around Jesus in them, revealing himself to the world through every single believer around the world. Not just one Jesus in one solitary place, but a million, billion people around the world who carry the presence of Jesus within them. 
God no longer just lives with us. He lives in us. And now look, as we look at what the New Testament begins to teach us, we look in 1 Peter and look at what it says in 1 Peter, but you are a chosen people. Peter's talking to to y'all, to us. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do these words not sound so familiar to what we've been talking about all this time? But look at Exodus 19, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is what God has been speaking about all the way through. It's God's big plan. And look here as well in Ephesians chapter 2. Now, if you get a chance to read all of Ephesians chapter 2, I know I'm giving you some some good passages, but all of Ephesians chapter 2, oh my goodness, it's a good passage. We're just going to read a couple of verses here, but it is a good passage, and I want you to read it later. So Ephesians 2 later on. But here's what in verses 19 to 22 say. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Isn't this fantastic? You are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit you're the tabernacle we together are the tabernacle everywhere we go jesus goes because his spirit lives within us you you're the tabernacle you guys right in this section right here you guys are the tabernacle and guess what this section over here you're still the tabernacle and you guys are the tabernacle all over the place wherever we go we are, we, are, we are filled with the presence of Jesus. We are, we are meant to be a kingdom of priests now. Jesus talks about us being ministers of reconciliation. Isn't that good? His ambassadors. We carry the presence of Jesus with us everywhere we go. You're God's plan. Your God's plan, his best plan, the one he's been working up to for thousands of years. Your God's best plan for revealing him to the nations. Would it be better if Jesus was here? No, Jesus said it's not better. It's not better if I'm here. It's better if I go because then you guys become the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. You are God's best plan for revealing Jesus to the nations. So we live in a nation right now where the percentage of the population who would call themselves Christians is dwindling. But here you are. Here you are. The priesthood of all believers, the mobile tabernacles of God's Spirit. God has placed you and people like you all around this nation, all around North America, all around the world. And now is the time for you to rise up and bring the presence of Jesus to the nations. There's nothing to fear about the dwindling number of Christians within Canada because now is the time. The harvest is ready and plentiful and there are so many people who are ready to experience the love of Jesus and it is in you. I loved in the video there, that, that video was made up by our administrative assistant and, and she, she shares this, the, the beavers. Do you see the beavers? That was so fun. The one beaver, the one Mountie, I think the Mountie comes over and, and says, hey, do you know about Jesus? And the beaver's like, what's a Jesus? And then the next scene is the beaver now looking over to other beavers saying, hey, Jesus is awesome. 
Isn't that amazing? Like, how many people need to hear that God loves them? How many people need to hear that that have never heard it before? We, we live in, a, in a, a place where the harvest is ready. It's ready for people to hear that God loves them. They've never heard it before. Does that make you excited? It should make you fearful. We live in a place where we get the chance to tell people for the first time, maybe, that God loves them. How amazing is that? What an opportunity. Like 50 years ago, if you went and said to someone, God loves you, they'd be like, I know that. And they'd walk away and still be cranky, right? But today, you get to talk to people and say, God loves you. And they go, what? Seriously? Me? Like, how fantastic is that? Do you know the greatest, the most difficult thing to overcome when sharing the, the truth of Jesus Christ with them, the most difficult thing to overcome is religion. It's the most difficult thing to overcome because people think they're good enough. They're like, well, I, I, I go to church at, at Christmas. And, uh, or, you know, I, my mom used to read the Bible. I mean, the, but the, religion is one of the most difficult things to overcome. And here we're, we're past it. We've got a nation of people that have not gone to church ever. We're past the religion problem. Now we can just tell people that God loves them. Get right into it and say, God loves you. See, this message is, is, is perfect for our country. You have, a, you have a Savior who loves you, Jesus Christ. He, he laid down his life so that you could have life. He, he, he thought about you before you were even born. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? And this message is perfect for Father's Day. It's fantastic for Father's Day because we have a nation of people who desperately need spiritual fathers and mothers. We have a, we have a nation that has not been raised with, understand, with, with mothers and fathers who know Jesus. We have a nation of people who need spiritual fathers and mothers. It's what they've been missing. These younger generations who have no religious affiliation are hungry. They don't even know it. They're trying to satisfy their desires with all kinds of things because they, they need something. They know they need something, but they don't know what they need. And here we get to show up as spiritual mothers and fathers and tell them about the amazing God who loves them. And you, you, whether you're 25 or 95, whether you have kids of your own or not, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you carry the presence of Jesus within you, tabernacled within you. And you're called to be a blessing. You're called to be priests of God. And you're called to be fathers and mothers of a generation to a generation of people who desperately need Jesus. So the call is to rise up. Rise up, tabernacles. Rise up, priests. Rise up and reveal Jesus to the world. If, if ever there was a time that God would want to reveal his presence to the world, it's now. Now is the time. And we need to take this seriously because you are God's best plan for revealing himself to the world. You're his best plan. And we cannot hide. We can't shrink back for fear or shame or because we want to be really nice. There's a generation that has no understanding of the great love Jesus has for them because, because there's a generation that has not been raised experiencing God's presence. So now you are God's best answer to this problem. Not you specifically to the whole world. You couldn't do that. It's backwards, right? Jesus, Jesus left so that his spirit could be given to the many. So, so you, but you are God's best plan maybe for your neighborhood. You might be God's best plan for your work, work office. You might be God's best plan for your family and your neighbors and your friends. 
you might be the one who has been placed specifically where you are to be God's presence in your sphere of influence. So how are you going to step into that role of bringing the presence of Jesus into your friend group or your family or into your neighborhood? I just want to give you one simple step, which is the number one and most important step there is. Pray. Pray. Prayer is just us talking to God. God, you, you know what the problem is? The problem is that the, the world needs Jesus and there are many, many people who don't know who he is. And you know what God's best answer is? It's you. So you know what the problem is? You know what his best answer is? You just need to say, okay, Jesus, I'll do it. Use me. Use me. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know how you're going to do it, but use me. Just pray, Jesus, use me. And pray for opportunities. Jesus, use me and give me some opportunity to share your love with somebody around me. Give me some opportunity to share your love with the people around me. And then watch what God will do. Watch what God will do. That kid that asked me what a Bible was, he went home. Because <laughs> it was a day camp. So he went home that night. It was the first day, the first day. I was like, Jesus loves you. And he came up and said, what's a Bible? It was fantastic. He went home and talked to his parents about it right away. You won't believe what I heard at, at horse camp today. And his parents said, you're not going back. They didn't want him to learn about God. They said, you're not going back. They, they called the directors up and said, we want our money back. We're not sending your kid back to your camp. We didn't know it was such a religious camp. And, I, and so the next morning, I come back out to camp ready to to, to preach the love of Jesus. And the directors came up and said, the, the one kid, he's not coming back. His parents pulled him because it was too Christian. And so I said, oh, okay. I said, do you want me to tone down the Jesus stuff? I can go lighter. I can just talk about good, happy things and not talk about Jesus so much. You want me to tone down the Jesus stuff? I mean, this was their livelihood. Now, they were running this camp. You know, obviously, they wanted someone to come and preach, but this is what they did. They just ran horse camps all the time. Summertime, it was outside. Wintertime, it was inside of, of uh, whatever things people do horses in. But they, they, that's what they did. This was their livelihood. They were just horse people that just made money by teaching people to ride horses. And here I am preaching something that's making people want their money back. And so I said, do you want me just to stop talking about Jesus? And they said, no. That, that's what we're here for. We're just here for Jesus. The horse camp thing is just kind of nice. We make some money off that, but, but this is the means for us to tell people about Jesus. Even if every kid drops out, we still want you to talk about Jesus. And so I said, all right, I'll keep talking about Jesus. So I kept talking about Jesus. And wouldn't you know it, the very next day that kid showed up again. The very next day he showed up again. He had, he had bothered his parents so much. Like he just, just wouldn't let it go all day long that he was kept home. He just kept saying, I want to go to horse camp. I want to go to horse camp. And so they sent him back the next day. They sent him back to, to horse camp and he learned more about Jesus that day and the next day and the next day and he just kept learning about Jesus. And we got him his own Bible. Isn't that awesome? We sent him home with his own Bible. I have no idea what happened to it, right? I, I have no idea what happened to that kid. I was there for a week and then I went off and got married and, and went back to school. Like I was gone, right? But we got him a Bible and we tried to get him plugged in with a local church and I have no idea what happened to that kid. But like I said earlier, he's probably about 40 or so years old now. He probably has his own family and I have no idea, but maybe he's teaching his kids about Jesus today. I have no idea. I have no idea. 
I bless you to be a father or mother to this next generation who desperately need to hear about the love Jesus has for them, desperately. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.